Coming up on Millennial. Boomers love to complain about that. Right. They love to complain about millennials cohabitating. And it's like, why do you think that is, Ethel? It is It is like <laughs> pinnacle romance, right? Like, I don't want you to carry my debt. So we'll just live yeah, together out of wedlock. It's fine. I can't get over this kink. Humiliation kink? So you just treat somebody like shit? Yeah. Yeah. Catherine in the Discord wants to know if we can add it as a new Patreon benefit. Look, we'll do anything y'all want us to. I mean, not like nudity, but we'll, we'll do humiliation anything? kink, sure. Andrew will do anything they want us to. Listen, I'm open to some ideas, okay? If I ever found myself in a position of needing to have an abortion and I couldn't get it here, I am fortunate enough that I have the means where I could travel to another state where that service is available to me. Um, there are plenty of women whose economic circumstances don't allow for that. And they are really the ones who are being punished by things like this. Rabbit, rabbit, and welcome to Millennial, the home of fake adulting, but real talk. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Laura, are your test results in? (laughs) Yes, they are in. Um... I guess I should give a little bit of a disclaimer here for anyone who didn't hear last week's episode of After Dark. Um, I revealed in last week's episode of After Dark that Mark and I were exposed to someone who ended up testing positive for COVID. And I was very nervous. And it's also high allergy season here in the Southeast. So our mold and pollen counts are through the roof. I spent most of early last week, experiencing symptoms that I was like, is it COVID (laughs) or is it allergies? And given the proximity, um, you know, with which I had been within this person who we were exposed to, I was just convinced I was preparing myself for the inevitability that I was going to test positive for COVID. Um, So I followed CDC guidelines. They have a really nifty tool on their website where you can go and input the date on a calendar that you were exposed to someone who tested positive for COVID. It puts you through a questionnaire where it asks if you're experiencing symptoms or not, and then it gives you a timeline of recommendations of when you should be tested by and how long you should continue masking around people if indeed you are able to still be going out in public depending on your symptoms. Um, So my recommendation was to get a PCR test this past Saturday, which I did, and the results came in last night. I am... (gasps) Negative. <laughs> you bitch. <laughs> the way you said that. I am. I, was like, I oh, really God, thought you happening. were going to test positive. <laughs> I for wow. sure thought we were going to test positive. I think Pam wanted it for the show. No, You're sick, no. Pam. <laughs> of course not. We all know that if anything, like you would have wanted a positive test result. I was so, by the way, like passionate Whoa. that my mic sock just fell off. yeah went flying i think it did it did go flying anyway yeah i'm so glad laura that you dodged a bullet um obviously this was no fault of your own we know that you've been very responsible so yeah well we're all glad you're okay yes including me of course i'm glad though the way laura introed the reveal i was for a split second i thought she was gonna say she was positive so like i had a sound effect ready to go for her (laughs) saying negative but then i was so shook 
that I like lost my train of thought. Anyway, See. I was gonna play the Jamentum 2020 <laughs> theme. Remember, remember that? Oh lord. <laughs> Yeah. So I I did that just for you, Andrew, because I know that you feel very passionately about us doing reveals on the show. Hashtag for the show. Yeah, I thought I would amp up, you know, the enthusiasm for you. Also, I'm excited. When I got the result, I like was like, woo! (laughs) And then I'm I'm sure like you and Mark were also excited because Doctor Strange hits theaters this weekend and I'm sure you have tickets to go. We're going on Thursday. Yeah, we are too. And... Oh man, (laughs) I can't go till Friday. We were so pissed. Mark was like, I swear to God, if we can't go to Doctor Strange, I'm going to choke a bitch. Could you not have gone theoretically to a drive-thru movie theater? Uh, you know, we have a drive-in near us, and I'm not sure if they're showing it. Also, the quality's not that great there. I was just going to say fair. that, too. That's fair. Yeah. And you have to listen through your car speakers. Like, it's yeah. just not the same. You don't get the live audience reaction to whatever the big reveals are. I get yeah. it. Everybody just honks instead of cheering. <laughs> do they actually do that? I'm like, I've never really been to a drive-in movie theater, honestly. No, I don't know. <laughs> I've never been to one for a big release like that, so I don't know. Avengers, assemble. Beep, 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 beep. All right. Well, we're going to jump straight into our discussions today. Pam, you're going to kick us off. I th- I'm s- I love that you found this because this one speaks to me so hard. You know, I thought it was going to, but I feel like we're all going to have some opinions here. So hopefully it'll make for a good discussion. I actually found this feature over on The Atlantic. And basically what this article was doing was talking about the rise of the workcation as a result of many companies moving towards a work from home model during the pandemic. So for the uninitiated, the workcation is pretty much what it sounds like. It's a vacation that you take that you also work during. Uh, and obviously during remote working and during this this era of the rise of the remote worker, it's becoming more and more feasible for people to do this, even if they aren't, you know, freelancers or traditional work from home employees like Andrew and I are. Uh, so people profiled in this piece said that working from uh, a remote location actually offered more opportunities for them to travel than their old in-office model because they were able to take their work with them and do it from anywhere. Those in favor also stated that they didn't mind working while on vacation because they were able to squeeze in activities during their work breaks. Others also cited workcations as making them feel more motivated overall to finish their work days early if they could, because the incentive was that after they clocked out for the day, they could go explore these places they were vacationing in. But then on the other side, those against were actually saying that the feeling of relaxation that one might experience during a workcation actually might be a little bit more superficial than you would expect, because it really just further blurs the line between work and play. And that's something that we've obviously talked about a lot on the show, like when do you clock out and what is more beneficial to your mental health in an effort to make sure that you don't burn out overall. Um, So to kick things off, I know that Andrew has a lot of thoughts on this, but I wanted to actually ask Laura a question because out of the three of us, you're the only one that really kind of works a more traditional office job. 
Have you noticed an uptick in your coworkers opting to work from locations that aren't necessarily their home during the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people have taken the opportunity to travel to visit family, which has been super beneficial because I think most people when they're traveling for family events do have some downtime where they might have a little bit of buyer's remorse about using their PTO when they're saying, hey, if I'm <laughs> if I'm sitting in a relative's living room and there's not any real activity going on until the family dinner that night, why would I not work so that I can save my PTO for a time when I genuinely can't be at my computer? Um, so that's been great. Another part of it is it's allowed people to take kind of extended stays in various places. I know a couple of people who, you know, went south for the winter and went to, you know, south of Florida, southern more locations where they could just hang out for a couple of weeks at a time and enjoy the good weather, but also get some work done. Um, I haven't done too much of this. There have been a couple of occasions where I took some PTO so I could travel somewhere, but I knew there was going to be a down day in the middle of it where we weren't going to be doing anything. So usually when that happens, I will work so I can save my PTO for when we're actually doing something. And this article also makes sure to draw a line between proper vacations and workations. It's not saying you don't need to take any breaks from work. You don't need to go on vacations. You can just get away with workations. It's saying that people should consider workations because actually many of the benefits from vacations are still there. I really like this idea. I had never put a name on it before. It is something I have done, though I will say if I'm going to go on a cruise or I'm going to go to somewhere I've never been in my life, chances are I'm not going to go on a workation. I'm going to fully enjoy where I am going. But as somebody who's worked from home for much of their lives, I have greatly enjoyed traveling places and um, continuing to work from there because it's sort of similar to going, like Pam, I know you've been there, going to a coffee shop in the middle of the day to work from the coffee shop. It's just nice to be in a new place and still do what you do. Now, if you hate your job, okay, you probably don't want to do a workation. You want to get as far away from it as possible. But I enjoy what I do. I don't take for granted what I do. I'm, I'm really grateful for everything that podcasting's given me. And it's just, it's an overall experience that I like throughout the week. I'm not one of those people who's like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. That's so bullshit. And I hate that phrase. But I have found that working from places I normally am not has been great for the exact reasons that this article brings up, Pam. Namely, that that point about working certain hours during the day. And then after, you go check out a new restaurant. You walk around town. You go to a concert in a place you've never been before. That is so exciting to me. And I love working from hotel rooms as well. Just, just being in a new place. Yeah, I've definitely uh, partaken in workations before with varying degrees of success. I think that... At this point, I found that the happy medium is really kind of going back to something that Laura touched on when she was talking about what she's seen in her workplace, which is making sure that you have maybe a buffer of one or two days where you really aren't working at all, 
so that you can really take advantage of, you know, being in a new place because there, there are advantages to working in new, um, surroundings. One of which is just that getting out of just your home routine can be very invigorating. But I find that if I can take like a day or two at the beginning or at the end to really just tune out and log off from work is probably um, the the most happy medium because then it's not just like it doesn't feel unfulfilling to only do half days throughout your stay at these new places. Yeah. yeah. And I would just say, you know, sometimes this can be easier said than done. But if you know you're going to be doing this um, and you're working on projects or, or different things like that, it can be really helpful to try and get sort of the heavy items off your plate before you go on your workation. Not saying that you should sort of like not actually be working, but be working. I think it's, I actually think it's important if you say that you're working to be working, but it allows you some flexibility to be able to move things around if you've taken care of the really important stuff before you go so that you have some room to maybe delegate those items to other people while you're out. You never know when you go somewhere what you might run into in terms of internet connectivity, for example. I've seen that happen where someone's gone somewhere. I've actually had it happen where I've gone somewhere assuming that I would have internet and then got there only to realize that I either didn't or it was like operating at a snail's pace so I couldn't get on Zoom meetings or anything like that. So I think thinking ahead to try and get some of like the heavy, um, you know, requirements off your plate before you do that is a good thing to do. It just saves you some sanity too so that you're not like yeah. running around like crazy while you're on this workation. Yeah, de definitely. And I actually have um, a bonus recommendation in regards to what you're saying about spotty internet. I recently just found out that my local library actually lets you check out remote hotspots for a period of 14 days. Oh, so ooh. I would look into if that's available at your local library libraries, because I could definitely think of a couple of situations where I, I, I could have benefited from that. And it's just really cool yeah. to know that that's a free resource that's available to me because hotspot internet can, can really rack up uh, price wise. If you end up realizing that you need a, a better um, a form of, of connectivity than what you thought you were going to have when you get to wherever you're going. Laura, I like your point about trying to knock out your bigger projects ahead of a workation, which I guess is what I'm going to call these now. This is sort of what I do when I go on a workation. I typically don't travel for one of these on a Monday through Wednesday because those are the busiest parts of my week. Thursday through Sunday, on the other hand, I don't have as tight of turnaround times and my workload isn't as heavy and it's just overall more flexible. So what I'll do is either not be on a workation on Monday through Wednesday or get to where I want to go before Monday. That way, to your point, I can still manage my workload effectively. 
Camille in the um in the Discord is agreeing with you, Andrew. They say my company has set work from home days Wednesday and Friday, so it's super nice to be able to drive to my best friend's place Thursday night or fly to see my parents and then work from remote Friday and not have to use that day of PTO. Yeah. So it does kind yeah, of seem like a lot awesome. of people benefit from from starting those workations later on in the week versus at the start of the week when things tend to be a bit more hectic. And as long as your workation is long enough, let's say a week, you can still knock out everything you might normally do on a vacation. <laughs> like you'll still go on those hikes you want, still go to that show that you want. You just have to spread it all out across those days instead of packing it in to say, let's say a weekend getaway. I guess that's what basically I'm doing. I'm replacing weekend getaways with week-long workations where I still work from there, get everything done that I normally would want to, but just spread out across a week. Yeah, I think it also just depends, too, because some people prefer when they go on vacation to make it a completely unplugged experience. Mm -hmm. And I totally get that. Um, There are certain vacations that I go on where I'm like, nope, I'm not working. I'm putting in for the time off completely so that I can enjoy myself. And I think that's important, too. Um, But it also just depends on the nature of your work, right? Like I would assume there are certain jobs where unfortunately this kind of flexibility may not exist. So I just want to be cognizant and understand that somebody may be listening right now who's like, well, I work remotely and this would never work for my job. Um, So (laughs) it's definitely the case where some people might have that, but I think work from home really does open up a lot more flexibility across the board. Yeah, I I would also say, too, that if if you choose to go with another human, whether that be a partner or a relative or a friend, just to make sure that you're setting realistic expectations for them, because I know that I've definitely, um, you know, been in situations where I know I'm going to have to work during vacation. And even though I state that to the person I'm traveling with, they don't always realize that I'm I'm not joking, that it really means that I need to, you know, check in at XYZ intervals to see if I have any work that needs to be done. If I'm, you know, working on more of a of a schedule or I'm I'm feeling like a news slot or things like that. So um, so yeah, I think that 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 would be also helpful to keep in mind as well, because um, I know that this is like, it's all very, you know, new age, this idea that that a lot of people can now potentially take their work on the go just by sheer nature of, of how many uh, businesses have moved to work from home as a result of the pandemic. So yeah, I think that's a that's a good point that you raise. And hopefully the person that you are traveling with is very understandable of that. And if it means that they get to travel, whereas normally maybe they otherwise wouldn't, then it's a fair compromise. Yeah. So basically, like traveling with somebody that isn't super codependent is going to be your best friend in this situation. <laughs> yeah. like, I have no problem going and exploring things by myself. But I know a lot of people feel weird if they're not with another person. So that's yeah. not my problem. Which is too bad because solo travel is great. I know that's oh, not what so we're talking nice. about today, but no, it's but wonderful. That's so true. It's kind of related. 
Yeah. I mean, in some ways it's related because mm-hmm. not everybody's going to be able to take a workation with other people. They're going to have to do it by themselves. In general, what are our yearly vacation habits like? And how often do we, you know, really take time off of work to do? And, and how often do those times off include, you know, just doing like things that are completely non-work related? And I, I also don't want you to think about this like vacation has to mean traveling somewhere because you know, taking time off to just like be at home and vegetate is also perfectly valid as well, you know? Yeah, I intentionally um, schedule long weekends sporadically throughout the year. Not, I mean, we all have limits on how much vacation we can take, right? But um, I try to schedule one of those once every quarter, every couple of months, just so that I have a long weekend to look forward to. Most of the time, that just turns into being a staycation long weekend for me. But I like that it affords me the opportunity to take, you know, a long weekend trip somewhere to drive somewhere and stay in an Airbnb. Um, Aside from that, I usually do one beach trip every year that's about a week. Um, I do not take work with me on that trip at all. And outside of that, I'm a big proponent of the mental health day. I think that just like, you know, we take care of our bodies when they're sick. I think it's important to take care of our minds when we're not feeling our best. So I will take a mental health day um, if I feel it's needed. Yeah, For me, Christmas, New Year's, I like taking those two weeks off. Fourth of July, weekend-ish, long weekend-ish. Uh, Memorial Day, long weekend-ish. And, you know, maybe something else comes up throughout the year. Other than that, I think I'm good with it. That works out to about four vacations, if you will, a year, if you're counting Christmas and New Year's as two separate weeks. So, yeah, that that works for me. Be- between those four and then the workation, that's something that works for me. Yeah, for me... Keep in um... mind, I do a lot of workations. Like... <laughs> Oh, I'm going to Disneyland. I'll work the day before, you know, or a half day or yeah. before I go into the park. I'm also going to put in a little bit of work. So there's a lot of workationing happening. But I mean, that's good that you've realized that that's a model that works for you. Yeah. That kind mm-hmm. of um, prevents you from burning out or feeling exhausted or, you know, feeling from losing momentum. So that's really important. Um, For me, I also like just if anything, having the holiday weeks towards the end of the year is really helpful. Um, I definitely need to get better about taking a couple more mental health days throughout the year. And I learned this about myself specifically during the pandemic because nobody was really flying anywhere if you were being responsible you know, or and so I was just thinking to myself, like, oh, well, I'm not going on vacation, so I don't need to take time off. I'll just save that for later. Um, but there is something to be said for, you know, taking a couple of days, even if it's just to stay at home and and relax and not think about responsibilities and stuff like that. So I wish I could do that. I'm just so bored. And I'm like satisfied with what I get up to over the weekend. So I'm like, what am I going to do with this third day? We were talking about this recently, like, oh, four day work week sounds nice. But I know what I'm going to do. I'm just gonna be like, I'm bored. (laughs) I'm the same way. I I just think I could be working and making more money. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And that's on us. It, you know, it is. Shame on it us. Is. Maybe we'll get there at, at one point. I think point, that's but. also a difference in how you work, though, because you're both self-employed. 
So that that very much is a question, whereas someone who has a typical office job, they're not losing money by taking a day off. Assuming it's they have that's a good PTO yeah. yeah. To them. And at least for me, getting back to what I was saying at the top of this, working for myself, doing the podcast stuff, having more flexibility. I hate to say this, but I think it feels less like work because I just do have so much flexibility and I can do whatever the fuck I want. And you and you enjoy <laughs> I, it. Like, let you know, I, you enjoy I, it. Yes. I know that you wanted to I, get away from I the whole, it. like, find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life. But but it is, you know, if, if your work is stimulating and you genuinely enjoy doing it, I think that that's okay, too. Like, I genuinely enjoy what I do. You know, do I need a break sometimes? Of course, but it doesn't take away from the fact that I genuinely enjoy the variety that journalism provides me. You know, every day is a is a new problem to solve or a new puzzle to to solve. So and if you have self-discipline, you can be flexible. If you're a reliable person, you can be flexible, you know, and work maybe sometimes weird hours or whatever. Cause, cause you know, you're going to get it done. Like you don't need to convince yourself that you're going to get it done because you just know you are. Maybe I'll organize a workcation. We all go on a workcation together. Where do you want to go? I'm down. Uh, somewhere I can drive nearby. I don't know. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm flying then, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, Laura's got to fly like to me. Palm Springs, and then I'll drive too. <laughs> that's Andrew's favorite place. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I, I've been thinking about Palm Springs recently, actually. So let's let's do it. All right. Well, moving on to our next story, we'd be remiss if we did not talk about the student loan debt updates that we've heard over the last week or so. Um, I think that if you're in the U.S. and you haven't heard about this, maybe you've been under a rock. Um, but President Biden has been widely reported to be considering some form of student debt forgiveness in the last week or so. Um, he has said that he's not considering $50,000 in debt forgiveness, which is something that um, many members of the Progressive Democratic Caucus have been pushing. And this has prompted speculation that he's considering his um, $10,000 in uh, debt forgiveness that he discussed on his campaign, which seems like probably the place where he would start. Um, but first, I wanted to check in with the panel because I know Pam and myself both have um, some student loan debt. And I wanted to check in and just see how the two of us are feeling about the prospect of student loan forgiveness at this point in time. First, I have to just say Pam like pushed her camera a little bit while you were setting her up. I, I know. No, no, no. I thought I thought you were going to be like, look, Laura, look at all these bills. I still have all these bills. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Laura, in regards to how I'm feeling, um, I <laughs> I hesitate to say that I'm hopeful because obviously this is not anything that we haven't discussed before. But I really hope that as a result of midterms coming up and just the fact that this keeps getting brought up, that maybe we'll hear some good news in the coming weeks or in the coming months. I don't know how to answer the question as to like what my ideal outcome would be, but I guess if anything, I would really appreciate the interest uh, being forgiven and um, and and the interest like overall being forgiven because I know that I've accrued a lot of interest since I've graduated and just having that wiped clean from the start 
and paying the the principal of what I owned would would be a huge help, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so at like at, at like the very least, that would be helpful for me. But if they want to do more than that, I I would I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth, so to speak. So yeah, no, I hear you on that, and I share a similar perspective. Um, in that I am for as much student debt forgiveness as we can get, really. Any and everything that we can get would be a win in my book. I think the timing of this is definitely based on the fact that, one, the moratorium on um, student loan payments ends at the end of August, and then a couple of months later, we have midterms, right? And there has been a good deal of polling that suggests that younger voters are kind of disaffected right now, understandably so. Um. I'm also not sure if I think, actually, I I don't believe that full student debt forgiveness is a realistic goal right now. I'm not against it, um, just to put it out there. But looking at the current makeup of Washington, I don't see how it happens without being challenged in the courts. I think that whatever Biden does, if he forgives anything, I think it's going to get challenged anyway. So I don't know that sort of starting from a place of wiping the slate completely clean is feasible. I also would be very curious to hear what the solution for the problem is, because if we wipe all existing student loan debt, then what is the answer for future debt holders, right? There are kids that are getting ready to graduate high school right now who are getting ready for college admissions and will be taking out loans. So it feels like a larger problem than just forgiving the debt that exists um, because that doesn't fix the problem down the road without addressing the issues of out-of-control costs of college. Um, or the fact that the federal government is continuing to give tens of thousands of dollars worth of loans to teenagers who have no credit score and can demonstrate no means with which they can pay those loans back. You literally could not get a loan like that <laughs> under any other circumstance. Um Sally May has been known to give loans to dead people <laughs> on occasion. It's pretty ridiculous. Um, so given all of that context, I understand why Biden might be starting small here. But to Pam's point, I am most concerned about the discussion only centering on debt forgiveness, but not really addressing interest. Um, because for someone like me, um, if they forgave $10,000 worth of debt, that would be amazing. And I'd be super happy for that. But I definitely have more than $10,000 worth of student loan debt. And if I'm still saddled with 7% interest on those loans, 
I will and many borrowers will find themselves in the position of continuing to pay back substantially more than we ever borrowed in the first place. So it feels like for anyone who has a larger loan balance that maybe is higher than the forgiveness being considered, if the interest isn't addressed, then the full issue isn't addressed either. And I just wanted to add that I've been called practically a Republican for that opinion before, (laughs) um, for not sort of having like only having the opinion that it's it's full forgiveness or bust. (laughs) Like there's no there's no compromise. There's no happy medium. And I I just don't believe that. Um, I think, unfortunately, we the current state of politics in this country will not allow for full student debt forgiveness as much as I would want that to happen. It's not happening. (laughs) So that's how I feel. Is this even you you mentioned he might be doing this ahead of the midterms to drum up some excitement and hopefully uh, improve uh, the the prospects for the Dems. But will this actually work? I don't know if this is enough to get people to turn out and and vote. It might not be, but I think he has to try. He's got to do something. And this is kind of like low-hanging fruit if it's possible. Yeah, because honestly, we're looking at a midterm slaughter right now. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here, but it's not looking good. And if Democrats want to try to do anything, now's the time. I guess also- Just like the Supreme Court, right? I guess also to the point of, of like- Let's just let's just say we live in a world where student debt can be completely wiped free. I guess the idea there is that then millennials and also maybe Gen Z that have already graduated will be in a better position to um, economically contribute to society society. So they'll be buying more. Uh, potentially feeding into the housing market as well, which is on the decline as well, as a result of a lot of us not having the means to buy house. Um, some might be more inclined to start families because they won't be in severe debt as well. And I know I'm just like thinking of all of these headlines of industries and things that millennials are always killing. And a lot of it is as a result of us not feeling like we can afford to do these things that traditionally generations prior to us have been able to do. Right. I mean, for example, um, Mark and I are planning getting married on getting married eventually. But as the law stands right now, we can't like go to the courthouse and get a marriage license without my student loan payments going out of control because the government will then consider us a joint entity, a married couple, and his income will count towards what I owe on my debt, debt that he never took out. So all of a sudden, my debt becomes his problem just because we're married. So assuming that doesn't get addressed, what marriage is going to look like for us is going to a lawyer and getting a contract drawn up, which I'm fine with. I'm not a traditional person, so I don't care. But I think about the people who are and people who do want that and kind of feel stuck. Like they have to choose between not getting what they want or floundering in even more debt. 
What a beautiful sacrifice, by the way, you're making for Mark. I don't want to marry you because I don't want you to get saddled with my student loan debt. That should be like on a <laughs> Valentine's Day card or something. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to get saddled with my student loan debt either. So, <laughs> But, you know, t- to be fair, I'm sure that th- these conversations that Laura and Mark are having are conversations that a lot of people are having. Um, you know, especially because we've seen a decline in marriage in our generation. So I know. And boomers love to complain about that. Right. They love to complain about millennials cohabitating. And it's like, why do you think that is, Ethel? It is. It is like <laughs> pinnacle romance, right? Like, I don't want you to carry my debt. So we'll just live yeah, together on a footlock. It's fine. Yeah. And I say this as someone who I... I, as I said, again, I am pro as much student debt relief as we can get. I would be very happy and satisfied if the solution were to eliminate interest and consider payments made to date um, as payments towards the principal. So, for example, I've been paying my student loans for a few years now, obviously not for the last couple due to the pandemic. But I've paid $20,000 on my student loans so far. It's all gone, gone towards interest. I haven't made a dent in the principal. So if they could take that $20,000 i have paid so far and apply it to my principal and cut the interest so that I can actually pay off the debt that I borrowed in the first place, I'd be happy to do that. Give us a chance to get ahead. We're yeah. never given these chances ever. Get screwed with taxes. Yeah. Personally, I just want to be able to pay the debt in a reasonable fashion. And I think that's what most people are asking for. Yeah. Same thing with like a home mortgage. I'll happily pay off the mortgage, but my God, the interest is yeah. unreal, especially at the beginning. I'm also yeah. just thinking, and obviously Andrew and I are both, um, you know, Jeopardy watchers, but the uh, <laughs> the, the contestant that's been, she's still going, right? Yes, she's so good. She, she made very Jeopardy good, great the again. The first day she won, the first thing she said was, I just paid off my student loans. And she was like in and tears. And how sad is it? Yeah. And she was, yeah. And how sad is it that we're all looking for a break? All of us who uh, bought into the idea that it was going to be easy to pay all this money off and we were investing in, our, in a future that was never even really promised to us. All of these feel-good stories of people getting their debt paid off or figuring out how to pay it off who were clearly struggling, they always kind of like tug at my heartstrings. But then on the flip side, I'm always just thinking about how sad it is that we're all kind of looking and and praying for a miracle in our own ways to figure out how to get out of this hole. You need to appear and win on Jeopardy, win the lottery, win a jackpot at a casino. It's all extremely (laughs) unlikely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, we can definitely get to speaking about the impact that this has on people's lives a little bit more. But Andrew, I know that Chloe, our wonderful social media manager, had shared a couple of polls on Instagram and Twitter to find out what kind of student debt our listeners are carrying. Yeah. 30% of people who voted on Instagram said they have they initially took out between $5,000 and $25,000 in student loan debt. 36% said they took out between twenty-six dollars and $60,000. 21% said between sixty-one dollars and $100,000. And then 13% said over 100000 
Yeah. And we received some messages from folks um, explaining a little bit more about circumstances. On Instagram, I think we got a lot of responses from folks internationally who were talking about how they don't have any student loan debt because they live in civilized countries where their government doesn't profit off the backs of teenagers. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. Isn't that great? (laughs) What's that like? (laughs) I know. I know. So we have, um, let's see, Catapsyches. I live in Argentina, so zero dollars. Max Snap, zero dollars. Canadian universities have reasonable rates. Um, Francie Town, zero because I'm German and we don't pay for studying. (laughs) Sounds Mm. so fucking civilized. Um, Aileen Westford said I'm Swedish and we only pay about 2% rent on our student loan and 0% in 2022 because of the pandemic. Of course, hmm. university is free, but you pay for your books and it's only required to pay $70 towards your debt. But wow. you can choose to pay more. Oh. <laughs> oh. Where is this in Sweden? Yeah. Oh man, I'm moving I think there we're moving to Sweden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Little Leah two said zero dollars my dad didn't want me to start in debt but i had to promise i'd do the same for my future kids so it sounds like they might be here in the states and then also um so many owls sounds like they might be here in the states apparently they have four hundred thousand dollars in student debt that they refuse to pay how does that work i wonder <laughs> not great for Just your keep... credit yeah interesting. not great for your credit <laughs> Just for some context, did you two share yet how much you took out? Are you comfortable sharing that? I don't know if I'm comfortable sharing the whole amount because I feel like a freaking idiot when I do. Laura was so many owls. That's her. That's with the no, four hundred thousand. I I did not take four hundred thousand. <laughs> um, you know, no judgment or anything. I will say if if Democrats, if progressive Democrats got what they wanted with $50,000 of debt forgiveness, that would be a large chunk for me, but it would not get rid of all of it. I would still, still have some even left after over. you've been paying off. Yeah. Pam, yeah. do you want to share? Give us any hints or? Um, no, I'm also not comfortable sharing, unfortunately. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Finances is, say... is very hard. Like for full transparency, any finance talk is very hard for me because um, culturally, money is just not something that we were uh, taught. My family was polite or appropriate to talk about. So fair enough. I'm trying to grow, but it's hard. <laughs> so I'm in. Yeah, that, it's understandable. I think I'm in that thirty percent from that Instagram poll, uh, five thousand to twenty five thousand, because I went to a community college one year. I went to a university another year. And I went to another university another year. But that second university was a Cal State. And at that time, I was considered an in-state resident in California. So tuition was pretty cheap compared to what out-of-state students were paying. And then I dropped out. So I was able to pay as I went for uh, the community college. And then I had a little debt with the uh, uh, Cal State College. And uh, that... Uh, that debt along with the university came to under 20,000 I think it was and it took me it took me some time to pay it off for sure but you but did I, but I did yeah good and it was, good it, was for a, you. it was a great day dude I've had dreams multiple dreams of the moment when I get to pay off my loan and the fact that I can say I've had multiple moments over the course of the last decade and a half where I have 
literally manifested these fantasies in my dreams. That just goes to show how much this weighs on your mind when yeah. you're carrying well, because this kind your of whole debt. life changes. And yeah. Then yes. The, the number of things that you can also do completely changes as well. Yeah. Yeah. Pat got emotional when he paid off his student loans like a year, two years ago, because it's it's such a big moment. It's like, I, I didn't too. think. Honestly, I'll yeah. probably sob. Because <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Like, but no, beca- no, no, because it, it's like one less thing that's weighing on your conscience. And, Absolutely. And honestly, like if I could go back and give myself some advice, I would say that, you know, like it's OK to go to community college. So agree with that. And save yourself some money, which was not something it was not something that the city I grew up with grew up and put enough of a um a priority on. And I wish they wouldn't have made it feel so taboo and so much like a failure. Because we have a great community college system in the Bay Area. And I think so. we wanted to touch on that too. I don't know if we're gonna have time, yeah. but like you also don't have to go to school. We were all raised with this expectation, like, kid, you're going to college. There's no question. And when that's instilled in you from childhood, you know, it's that whole big moment applying to colleges and getting the letters back from colleges. Like your life as a teen just re- revolves around getting into colleges that you see no other way because that's how your parents were yeah. raised. But we need to get out well, of that. I think mindset. we also spoke about when we were planning for this segment, we talked about the fanfare that even public high schools create around college admissions. I remember when I was in high school, they always did a bulletin board of the places where, you know, my classmates had been admitted to college. And in particular, if you were admitted to the University of Georgia or Georgia Tech, or any of the Ivies, it was like, I mean, practically a full page ad they took out on you to brag about somebody from our high school going to one of these prestigious universities, whereas people who were going to really good local, you know, state colleges didn't get nearly as much fanfare. And I guarantee you, those people are probably not drowning in debt the way I am, for example. So who made the smarter choice? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. For for me, where I grew up, U- UC was expected. So University of California was ex- accepted, expected in the norm. Um, And then to give you a little more context on this, I was accepted into a private university that I almost went to and a state university that I ended up going to in the same city. And when I told people that I picked the state university because they had a better journalism department, and at the time, uh, well, I had I specifically said they had a better broadcast journalism department. The the private university had none. Everyone was like, "Well, why didn't you go to the private university? Because it's a private university." It was literally just about the prestige of saying yeah. that you had gotten into a private university, and it shouldn't be that way, it's you so know. Overrated. And you also shouldn't have to. Um, justify your choices. So it's all messed up, especially if you if you go to if you you know go to school in some of these towns that are a little too pretentious for their own good, honestly. <laughs> and I think something we've talked about, I know, Pam, I think you and I both heard this. Andrew, I don't know if you heard the same thing, but I remember having it drummed into my head that student loan debt was 
quote, good debt. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't bad like credit card debt. It was a good kind of debt. It was like, it's good debt. You're investing in your future. It'll be easy to pay off. You need this for your future. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You got no other life otherwise. Can I mention while we're on this topic, I just pulled up this article again, and this cracks me up in hindsight, especially in, in the context of this discussion. So there was an article on me in Orange County, California, about 10 years ago now. And multiple times in the article, it calls me a Cal State Fullerton graduate. I did not graduate. Oh, but this, no. is like, this is my <laughs> diploma now. I can just tell people, yeah, I graduated. Look at the article. Well, and, and like, listen, I know this is not the same for everybody but i i will say that um i don't i don't regret going to journalism school because i i do still feel like the fundamentals that i was taught there far outweigh some of the um they they are like they're worth something but i will say that at this point in my career my experience weighs higher than my degree but I don't think I would have gotten yes. that experience if I hadn't have, have um, uh, built that foundation because Absolutely. it did give me a leg up to really know how to do things the proper way. Yeah, no, so. absolutely. There's benefits to college. And I'm sure mm-hmm. we all have had experiences oh, yeah. that, you know, my community college, like one of the best years of my life in school, period. Just amazing teachers, loved the campus, loved the area. Uh, Love the education. Everything about it was great. I wouldn't take that back for a second. I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. Um, I don't regret going to undergrad at all. Um, Grad school, my jury is still out on that. I'm still waiting to see how that is going to pay for itself in the long run. Hopefully it will, but not as optimistic about that as I am about undergrad. I feel like not only did I have a wonderful experience as an undergraduate, I really feel like I learned so much about the art of nuance through college that I don't think I would have learned personally anywhere else. And I think that, you know, that alone has certainly paid for itself, um, just along with the ability to be able to create a goal and execute on that goal and meet deadlines and do things substantively, right? Not half-ass things um, the way that, you know, sometimes I think, you know, depending on your teacher that you have in high school, it, it, it can be a mixed bag, right? I feel like I got a very rich substantive experience in undergrad not feeling the same about grad school, but we'll see. <laughs> um, something I wanted to ask y'all about, because of course, this is a common refrain that comes up every time discussion of student debt forgiveness comes up. Um, people inevitably bring up the, well, what about all the people who worked really hard and paid all their loans off? How is this fair to them? I think we got an email like this a year or two ago, maybe last time we were discussing this. Well, as somebody who has already paid off their debt, I guess I have feelings about this. Look, it's it does feel a little shitty, but it doesn't mean that I'm against this idea. I'm still all for it. Am I jelly? Yeah, of course. Can Biden just like throw me 10 grand anyway? That'd be nice. But 
It's like complaining about a cure for something you already fought just because it came after you needed it. Point is, like, you can't not like something just because it doesn't perfectly align with your own personal timeline. This is about helping others. It's not always about you. If you think about it as an investment in society, I know it it kind of feels hollow to say this as somebody that would obviously benefit from any kind of relief. But I I feel like even if I had paid off all my student loans, I would still want other people to to like just have that leg up and to start fresh. I mean, I think that also um, this is not the same for people that obviously worked hard to pay off their student loans. And, and um, you know, it's not to take away from that. But I, I often feel like the people who whose parents were fortu- in a fortunate enough situation to be able to pay for their education, which a lot of people that I went to grade school with are in that boat, um, don't really understand what a huge burden this is and what a huge relief it would be for everybody else to to start off with that same clean slate. Yeah. I'm saying this is someone who due to the amount of student loan debt I hold, I am under no illusions that all of my debt is going to be forgiven. I am going to have to pay that off. I'm committed to doing that. It's my debt. I took it. I may benefit in some small way with whatever Biden is getting ready to do. And I'm still okay with it. There are people who are going to benefit far more than I will. And I want that for them. Yes. Agreed. Um, to, to sort of like the point, though, um, I would actually be in favor of granting a tax credit to those who had previously paid off their student loan debt. Um, I think that that is something I hope the administration explores. Um, it doesn't completely fix sort of the problem of feeling like I paid off my debt and now I'm not sort of getting any kind of recognition for it, but it would be, I think, a nice gesture. But I will say to this argument, I think about this all the time. When people bring up sort of their opposition to other people receiving relief that they themselves did not receive. I think about social security and how there are plenty of people in older generations who receive way more benefit from that program than they ever paid into it during their working lives. That's money that our generation is paying into Social Security right now. I don't have a problem with that because I want to be a member of a society where we care for each other. So I would never dream to think that we shouldn't take care of our elders, but we got to meet each other halfway. It's not fair to place an expectation on the younger generation that they pay in to care for their elders, but there's no kind of reciprocity in the care for the younger generation and their abilities to contribute to the economy. Even if you strip all sort of like personal empathy out of this, we all want the economy to function. 
And it's not functioning terribly well when you have an entire generation of people who can't contribute to the housing market, who are stuck renting, who aren't able to get married and have families and have children. The economy will not grow if this generation isn't allowed to grow. So that's my answer to people who bring up that argument. It's not fair, but life's not fair. And society is only going to function as well as we allow it to. I also think that, and I'm sorry, I'm going on like a little bit of a tirade here. Go off, go off. The U.S. government, we can assume positive intent here and say that it, you know, started um, with positive intention and this sort of happened unwittingly. But giving 18-year-olds tens of thousands of dollars that they have no prospects of being able to demonstrate paying back is predatory lending. The U.S. government participated in a predatory lending scheme against teenagers and is actively profiting off of it. That's fucked up. And it is completely fair to say that we were all legally adults when we accepted these loans. That's fine. But the government has to meet us halfway. We have to come together to find a solution to this problem. It's not going to be as simple as saying, okay, we're making it all go away or no, this is all y'all's problem and we don't have to do anything to help fix the problem. The government created the problem in the first place. So they have to come up with a solution. Yeah. That's me. Well, and like you were saying, we didn't get a proper education in terms of what we were getting into when we took out these loans. It was way too easy to get the loan as well. When you get a home loan, your soul is torn apart. You are laid bare in front of these loan companies who analyze every little thing about your life. And frankly, it makes you feel like shit because everything's exposed. They could sit there and look at every little detail on your credit card bill, you know, all of that. And I, it's it's a very uncomfortable process because then they also judge you. I was going to say, I'll also add that I went, I started university during extreme budget cuts for the California State University um, conglomerate. And that directly affected how much time I spent in school mm-hmm. because I had to wait to take certain classes for my GE and also for my major, for both majors. So you had to take out more debt. I had to take out more debt. Yeah. It's a scam. It is. Yeah. It's a total scam. Before we wrap up, should we just go back to the Twitter poll real quick? I was going to say, did you want to share those results? Yeah. Yeah. So we also did a poll on Twitter. 41% said they took out between five and 25,000. 37% said they took out between 26 and 60,000. 9% said they took out between 61 and 100,000. And then 13%, um, actually, just like Instagram, said that they took out over 100,000. Yeah, where my grad school people at? I see you. (laughs) (laughs) We're all crying together. Yep. (laughs) Macaroni Chintz said, I paid for tuition via the GI Bill, but my parents had me take out loans to live off of. Didn't really question it at the time, but looking back, I'm a bit like WTF. I owe 18,000-ish and haven't paid anything since 
2019 due to grad school and the pandemic. And I got very lucky with grad school. It is rare to find a master's program with funding, absolutely unheard of for my discipline. But somehow I was in the right place at the right time and paid $0 in tuition for grad school, else I'd have 30k additional. Castle Holly said, I don't have any loans left anymore, but I had 35000 when I left school, paid them off in 42 k in the end with all the interest. I kept spreadsheets tracking everything. Yes, we love a good spreadsheet. And finally, Chatterbox Rose said, I have about 13000 left in my own name from my first two years in community college, but my mom has a Parent PLUS loan she pays for my last two years at state school, and I honestly have repressed how much it was, maybe thirty to 40000 Oof, yeah, and those plus loans, parent plus, grad plus, they have even higher interest rates than yeah. the undergraduate loans. So it's it's rough. By the way, this all reminds me, I need to give a quick shout out to our old friend Mikey B, who initially uh, put this idea about going to school in California in my head because he was going to CSU Fullerton at the time. And he said, dude, come out to California. It's really cheap. I said, what? And... I looked into it. I was like, damn, it is cheap to go to school out there. Plus, I'll be in California, baby, just down the road from Disneyland. And that's how I became a debt-free Disney adult. (laughs) (laughs) Tuition debt-free. It's so funny how many schools in Southern California use how far away they are from Disneyland as a incentive, as an advertisement <laughs> technique. Like, I will tell you, just as somebody like that lives in Northern California, every school in Southern California goes, it's X many miles away from Disneyland. And, and that is like a point for why you should choose them. It's hilarious. I still have very vivid memories of being at Fullerton College and the kids who worked at Disneyland would show up in their Disneyland uniforms like the full about right. space mountain gear <laughs> like walking over to the bus to head down the Anaheim I'm like what a life what a life Biden's decision on this should be coming around or before the end of the moratorium on student loan repayments which is on August 31st so keep your eyes peeled we definitely will and I'm sure this won't be the last time we discuss this on the show assuming we hear an update in the next couple of months yeah coming up on our patreon today I have to unload on a couple of people, including a recent Uber driver and then somebody who hasn't contacted me in checks notes uh, about seven years asking for a favor. So it's going to be two rages of the week coming from me. And then I'm going to need Laura and Pam's opinions on things. Maybe I shouldn't be as mad as uh, I have been recently. So that'll be at patreon.com slash millennial. It's a part of Mega Millennial, which is the main show ad-free with After Dark at the end. You also get other benefits like the monthly Bay Hangout if you're pledging at the $10 level. Uh, Speaking of the Bay level, you also get access to a new physical gift every year. Many more benefits as well at patreon.com slash millennial. Thanks, everyone. We really could not do this without you. And time for one more story today. I think we can put this under the WTF news banner. I was shook when I read this story. The headline from BuzzFeed News was, he was 5'7", after surgery, he'll be 5'10". And in this report, it details limb lengthening surgery. This is a procedure originally designed to correct mismatched length in legs, but the surgery has become more popular for men looking to permanently increase their height. BuzzFeed's story covers a 25-year-old in LA who had the surgery. 
Like other men, he's been disrespected at work and it's been difficult to date due to his height. The surgery involves, and I'm not going to get into all the details, but I have to touch on it a bit. The surgery involves a doctor breaking both femurs and inserting a titanium rod that slowly expands inside the patient's body, making them permanently taller. Does this freak you too, out? Like, it does freak you. Yeah. And I want to say, too, that I... I uh, my mom, for context, my mom is a really big fan of reality television. So she was like on that little people, big world <laughs> trade. And I want to say that 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 um, procedures like this are are more common for for little people that want to be a little bit larger. But I, I didn't realize that, you know, like average height people were actually looking into this. But yeah, I guess it makes sense because, you know, society expectations and, and pressures. So. And the article goes into that, just how many societal pressures there are for shorter people. I've been loosely aware of them over the years, but hearing stories from people was really upsetting. The surgery, by the way, normally can add three inches or less, so somebody's not suddenly going to be a a foot taller. Recovery takes about a year, so it is a major commitment, not to mention the price. It's $75,000. But as if this story wasn't interesting enough... Turns out this guy, to pay for the surgery, launched an OnlyFans. That's not all. He he wasn't just doing jerk-off videos on OnlyFans. He, after a few months on the platform, zeroed in on a niche. Financial domination, a form of humiliation kink where clients pay him to degrade them and take their money. And by January 2022, by supplementing his OnlyFans earnings with some of his savings and a small loan, he had enough to pay for the procedure. I can't believe he still had to take out a small loan to do this. And the fact that he took out a small loan to do this. I can't get over this kink. Humiliation kink? Clients pay him to degrade them and take their money? Oh, my God. This is how I know you're not on TikTok because... I feel like a lot of people on TikTok are constantly sharing tips for how to make some extra money on the side. And I'm sure Laura has seen some of these videos too. Yeah. And I've, I've heard of this kink before. It very much is a thing. Oh my gosh. So you, so you just treat somebody like shit? Yeah. Yeah. Catherine in the discord wants to know if we can add it as a new Patreon benefit. <laughs> Look, we'll do anything y'all want us to. I mean, not like nudity, but we'll, we'll do humiliation anything? kink, sure. Okay. Not nudity, but... Andrew I, I, will listen, do anything. I'm open to some to. ideas, okay? Humiliation Andrew draws the line at nudity. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, I just... This whole story from, from increasing one's height to how he paid for the surgery, really crazy. And, you know, good for him, and I totally understand why he... he he felt the need to do this. Um, he said he was treated poorly at work. It bums me out, too, though, that we as a society still treat people as less than other things they're born with. You know, people get nose jobs or boob jobs or height jobs, apparently. It's so sad that we haven't moved past this as a society. Yeah. And even reading this 5-7, in my mind, isn't that short? I'm 5'5", five five, so to me, I'm like, he's taller than me. Um, and it just, it doesn't strike me. I never meet a person and notice their height and make a conscious judgment 
of their personhood based on how tall they are. It's just such a weird thing. Yeah. But it makes me sad because I know plenty of men who are in that height range of like 5'6 to 5'8. And now I'm thinking, shit, how many times have they experienced something like this, be it in the workplace or just socially or when trying to date? Yeah. It's horrible. When it comes to height, I know it's only a difference of three inches, but I guess a little goes a long way in terms of perception of a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, because I'm 5'10", so I'm I'm listening to you talk and like, oh, yeah, three inches, that doesn't sound like much, but I guess it just is a noticeable difference. Like, my ex was noticeably shorter than me. Pam, how many inches? You probably saw us together. <laughs> three or four, maybe? Oh, between you and your ex? <laughs> yeah. A little, a little, maybe. I think he was probably closer to my head, but he's definitely taller than me. I'm only 5'5", five five, so. Okay, so maybe he yeah, was so about 5'7". Five probably seven. like 5'7". Five but I feel yeah. like that was a noticeable difference in our heights, and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that like, I, I know you have this question here about like whether or not like height is a a deciding factor in dating. And I'll, I'll be honest here, like on surface level value, I, I tend to gravitate towards taller men. But that also is a is a as a me thing, because when I was younger, I was constantly made aware of how tall I am, which is hilarious now because I'm only five five. But it was just because my family was so much shorter. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was always told like, "Oh, you're so tall. Oh, you're so tall. Oh, we can't find like, like even like when my my quinceanera was coming around when I turned fifteen, it's like, oh, we're having trouble finding like people to dance with you that are taller than you because you're so tall. And it wasn't that. It's just that girls start growing faster than guys. So that that's like a, a me complex for sure. But I've definitely, you know. Uh, dated men that are, you know, closer to my height or maybe not as tall as I would have like preferred, I guess. But it, it yeah. is such a funny thing because like once you start getting to know somebody on a deeper level, height doesn't really matter that much. No, no. You know? No. So but no, it's harder I mean, with like the I guess it's harder with the dating apps though, because it's like all you're going off of is the information they're giving you. And a lot of people don't put a lot of good information on their profiles. So all you have to go off of is like where they're from, how tall they are, if they want kids or not. So it's like you got to got to pick something to weed out people by. Yeah. I know that there there's definitely just like there is with all other aspects of physical appearance. I think we all carry unconscious bias into those interactions. So Pam, much like you, most of the men that I've dated have been taller than me. And mm-hmm. there's probably, a, like I said, unconscious bias, but I would imagine some kind of evolutionary bullshit going on there. But I've also dated a couple of guys who were shorter than me. And I'm not going to sit here and say that I just didn't notice it because that would be a lie. But in the end, it didn't matter. And also, I'll say this. Tom Holland is dating Zendaya, who is a goddess. Yeah. So, you know, don't don't be discouraged. I mean, honestly, like they're <laughs> doing a lot for height, um, height difference representation yeah. in the media. And I, I really appreciate that. And I'm sure uh, women that are even taller than I am really appreciate that. My best friend is 6'2". It's very hard for her to find um, men that are 
uh, taller than her. More often than not, she's looking for men that are about her height. Yeah. Well, and Chloe, our social media manager, is quite tall. She's commenting on this conversation. She said that we can have some of her height for starters. So Wait, if anyone's interested. How tall is, is she? Chloe? Because in my head, she's shorter than I am. Oh, no. Chloe's quite tall. She's 5'9". Five 5'9"? Nine, five nine? Yeah. Wow. See, like, tall height queen. is a construct. You never really know how tall <laughs> I know. are. You never, you never really know. Yeah. Because, like, see someone. for example, I know that Andrew just said, well, how tall did you say you are, Andrew? 5'10"? 5'10". I definitely did not think you were 5'10", but, but I, and I know I've known you forever, you know? I just know that you're what taller you think than I was... me, but oh. I know I just know that you're taller than I am, but I just, I don't, I don't ever think like, oh, like Andrew's 5'10", like that's so short, you know? Yeah. Just citing this article one more time, um, BuzzFeed News brings up that height is an advantage in the workplace where taller men are, are more likely to end up CEOs and shorter men are less likely to get access to career opportunities. Short men are mocked on social media. Some research suggests shorter men are more likely to be depressed as well. I think at the end of the day, anything that is a physical trait that like whether or not you can or can't change it, let's just say it's something that you can change. I don't I don't think it ever really addresses any like deep-seated issues you have with yourself. Um and and I think that in order to achieve true happiness it it kind of has to go hand in hand, right? Like being mm-hmm. a few inches taller might help this person and I hope that they that it does end up being everything that they're hoping it will be. But if you're not addressing the inside, then it it kind of just feels like a throwaway. He needs to go to therapy, too, it sounds like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope this guy finds what he's looking for. He's not the only person, by the way. It's no, It's been rising in popularity in, yeah. in his defense. I understand it. Kind of reminds me of that documentary. Did you guys ever see that documentary, Unhung Hero, where the guy no. was... Oh, okay. It came out a, a while ago now, but this guy uh, found out that his girlfriend broke up with him because his penis was too small. And the whole documentary is about him interviewing past partners and then learning about what options are available to him with regards to how to potentially fix this issue if he decides to go forward with it. And That's so fucked up. Yeah, I and I won't like stuff spoil like it that. in case anybody actually wants to check it out. But um, I don't know. Just this whole conversation reminded me of that because it's a very similar issue, even though they're very different problems. Yeah. Can I uh, give you some breaking news that you're not going to like to hear? Uh, okay. Yeah. Exclusive from Politico. Draft's majority opinion obtained by Politico shows Supreme Court poised to overturn Roe v. Wade. What? So it's just a draft. Well, I guess I'm going to go to Target and stock up on Plan B pills. (laughs) I thought we should mention that now because yeah, Politico is fairly reputable. Yeah, yeah, they're usually on point. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed. Mm. Yeah, it feels like a whole new era that we're entering into it's very interesting because you know on the call you know we have pam from california and and me from georgia and 
as we've discussed on the show previously, overturning Roe v. Wade really leaves this decision up to the states. So I would imagine that California would be a state where abortion rights would still be, you know, supported and enforced. Not so much in Georgia. Right. The fucked up thing is, you know, if I ever found myself in a position of needing to have an abortion and I couldn't get it here, I am fortunate enough that I have the means where I could travel to another state where that service is available to me. Um, There are plenty of women who are not whose economic circumstances don't allow for that. And they are really the ones who are being punished by things like this. Right. We um I don't think we we read it on the show, but we we did get an email from somebody who was detailing the means they had to go through uh, just by sheer nature of what we've seen happening in Texas to get an abortion, and it's just That's so messed right. up. And like you said, Laura, it this really um, is going to affect marginalized communities predominantly, also women of color most likely as well. And uh, and it's such a shame that that we're at this point. So since this story just broke here on Monday night and we're wrapping up the show, we don't have time to address it further, but we will in the weeks ahead. I just wanted to mention it so the show wasn't immediately out of date the moment we released it. And with that said, let's do a total 180 and make some recommendations. I want to recommend this cool gadget called the Stream Deck. This is a new toy I recently bought. This is a physical device that connects to your computer and lets you program 15 buttons to control your computer. This was, I think, originally designed for video game streamers, but it can be used in loads of different ways, and all the buttons will change as you program them. And each button has a little color screen on it, so when you change the function of the button, the button will actually change its appearance as well. You can control Spotify, you can adjust your home's smart lights, you can open apps on your computer, you can change your computer settings, all with the press of one of these buttons. It's really cool. It's really customizable. And it's just a really thoughtful device for those who are creators online. So check it out. Again, it's called the Stream Deck, and it's by this company called Elgato. Very cool. Um, I would like to recommend something I talked about earlier in the show, um, the CDC's Quarantine and Isolation Calculator. Um, This is the tool that I use to input the date when I was exposed to COVID, and it gave me a very thorough outline of, um, you know, when it was safe for me to, you know, be out and about, that I needed to be masking, but it also gave me dates you know, on which I needed to be sure to get testing to ensure that I was testing negative. So it's a really great tool. And then as a bonus recommendation, in light of the news Andrew just shared with us, I recommend getting an IUD. Mm. If you've got the health coverage that will allow you to get one, they're fucking amazing. I've had one for the last few years. I got it put in before Trump was inaugurated because I was terrified that something like this was going to happen. And, um, you know, haven't had any unwanted pregnancies yet. And also, if you get the Marina IUD, that's the one I have, you probably won't have periods anymore, which is an added benefit. And I wanted to recommend Etsy as a source for unique gift shopping. 
Um, and then a shout out to some of the shops that I've recently purchased from Lepetit Sprout and Caitlin Minimalist both have fantastic jewelry. Uh, the first is more fandom based and the second is very customizable. So I highly recommend checking out their shops. And then the Cork Box Co., which does uh, customizable like uh, cork storage frames is really cool so if you have like a wine drinker in your life and they want to start cork collecting then that might be a fun little unique gift that you could look into as well cool good ideas if you have any feedback about today's various excellent discussions you can contact us by writing directly to millennialshow at gmail.com or by using the contact form or anonymous confessional on millennialshow.com you can also follow us on social media our username is Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And then over on TikTok, we are Millennial Pod. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Maura. And I'm Pamela. Bye, everyone. Bye, Bye. y'all. Bye.